Hi, I'm Joaquin Evans, co-senior leader of Bethel Austin. I pray that Jesus ministers to you through today's message and that you are blessed deeply. If you're encouraged, please like and subscribe so you can stay up to date with all of our weekly sermons. Enjoy the message. Thank you. That was awesome. Good job, guys. Encore? No. You don't want an encore from me, trust me. Well, hello, good morning, and Merry Christmas. Well, full confession, my message this morning has nothing to do with Christmas. Um, so I thought I would tell a couple of Christmas jokes just to get us in the Christmas spirit. Okay, my first one is this. Anyone who believes that men are equal to women has never seen a man trying to wrap a Christmas present. Maybe that's just true in my family. I don't know. I'm just kidding. I'm just throwing my husband under the bus there. He has a lot of other great qualities. Okay. I love you, babe. Still wrap my presents, though. Um, okay. And then this joke actually has something to do with my message. A family had twin boys whose only resemblance to each other were their looks. Opposite in every way, one was an eternal optimist and the other a doom and gloom pessimist. Just to see what would happen on Christmas Day, their father loaded the pessimist's room with every imaginable toy and game. The optimist's room he loaded with horse manure. That night, the father passed by the pessimist's room and found him sitting amidst his new gifts, crying bitterly. Why are you crying, the father asked. Because my friends will be jealous. I'll have to read all the instructions before I can do anything with this stuff. I'll need batteries constantly. And my toys are going to eventually break, answered the pessimist twin. Passing the optimist twin's room, the father found him, dancing for joy in a pile of manure. <laughs> what are you so happy about, he asked. To which his optimist twin replied, there's got to be a pony in here somewhere. <laughs> oh. So good. <laughs> okay, let's pray. <laughs> Jesus, we thank you that you're in a good mood. All the time, not just at Christmas, but all the time you're in a good mood. Father, we thank you that as we do our best to realign our thoughts with your thoughts, that you will help us and guide us, that you will feed us with truth, that you will comfort us, that you will guide us. Lord, we thank you for this Christmas season that is coming and the new year that's just around the corner. And Lord, we press in for more of you. This is not a time that we take our foot off the accelerator, Lord, and put it on the brake. But we lean in, we press in for more of you in our lives and in the lives of our family. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, so I know this is not a traditional Christmas message, but I think it's important as we enter into the holiday season. And like I said, the new year is just around the corner. And who knows that the last two years has been kind of crazy, right? If we've learned anything, it's that we can't control what is going on in the world around us. 
And I think 2019 and, twi well, 2020 and 2021 has just been a little bit of an overachiever in trying to squish as much challenging, turbulent times in as possible. Would you agree? Yes. But can I tell you that there is something that will affect the way that we have viewed the past years and that will determine the course of the years to come? And that is our minds. Am I saying that you can think a better social climate? No, but the way that you go through the challenging times is all based on how you think. And you can either survive these times or you can thrive in these times. And the power of it lies between your two ears. You know, I used to love... Um, I used to love digging deep into the mysteries of God and the theology that made my head hurt. I used to love talking about it. I used to, I still love all of those things, but I think the older I get, the more I appreciate the simple truths of our Christian faith. The more complicated the world gets around us, the more I keep coming back to the simple truths of Jesus. The easy to implement some easier said than done in my life. I tend to look through the scriptures and I'm drawn to the passages that help me become a better mom. I'm drawn to the passages that help me to be a more gracious wife. And as you just heard, I'm working on that still. <laughs> but I love the scriptures that teach me how to be a better leader, that teach me how to love people well. And so it's one of those passages that we're going to look at today. Now, it's common ground for a lot of believers, and some of you may be able to recite this, and I'm sure that you have. It's taught in Sunday schools. But my thought was this. How often do we really look at these common scriptures and break them apart, tear them down, and find strategies and create action plans to put them into our lives? Because I don't know about you, but I'm all about the practical. Just me. Maybe. <laughs> I think all the moms can say amen. <laughs> I want to know. I don't want to just know what this says. I want to know how to get this from here into here. Yeah. I want to live this, not just read it. I want this to transform me, not just be a comforting text that I visit every week or so. But I want to spend my time in this, and I want to allow it to transform me from the inside out. Amen. And I love God. He is so kind. He is so kind that he would give us the tools in here, written plain and simply for us to follow. Now, I want you to turn in your Bibles to Philippians 4, verse 8. When you're there. Okay. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, it's the Apostle Paul speaking, these do and the God of peace will be with you. Who wants the God of peace and not just the peace of God to be with them? Yeah. 
and not just visit them, but remain in them. And I don't know about you, but full disclosure, this last season has raised up some anxiety within me. And I have constantly had to come back to the Word of God and the presence of God to get peace, just to get through some days. And I think that leading into this Christmas season, we could all do with an upgrade in peace, couldn't we? I want to read this one more time, but this time in the Passion Translation. It says, keep your thoughts continually fixed on all that is authentic and real, honorable and admirable, beautiful and respectful, pure and holy, merciful and kind. And listen to this one. And fasten your thoughts on every glorious work of God, praising him always. Put into practice the example of all that you have heard from me or seen in my life, and the God of peace will be with you in all things. My hope is that we will be a people who control our thoughts and not allow our thoughts to control us. Because can I tell you that it takes intentionality. So whether you're aware of the thoughts in your brain or not, make no mistake, they're happening. But do you determine what they th those thoughts are or do you allow those thoughts to happen to you? Because I think a lot of times we take this passive stance and we allow thoughts to come in and through our brains and we'll meditate on worry, we'll meditate on anxiety, we'll meditate on all of the things that do not line up with what God is telling us to meditate on, won't we? I mean, it's our human nature and I think that that's why God is saying, this is why this is important. It's important because I know as human nature, it's your natural propensity to lean towards the negative. So I'm going to give you tools right here to teach you how to train your brain. And we know that our thoughts are important. We know this. And Proverbs 4.23 says, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it flows the issues of life. But did you know that that word heart there is translated as mind? Keep your mind with all diligence, for out of it flows the issues of life. Quite simply, the thoughts you allow yourself to meditate on ultimately will create the course of your life. So where is your life going? Do you have a negative outlook? Are you that twin sitting in a room full of toys, just thinking of every possible worst-case scenario? Or are you looking for the pony in the middle of the poop? Because you get to choose. You get to choose. Your life will follow the course that your mind creates for it, whether you're aware of it or not. You are the storyteller and the narrator of your life. You are the storyteller of your life. And how is that story going to be passed down to the generations? Does it mean that you have the ability to control situations and circumstances and people that come your way? No. 
but you do get to determine how you go through those things. Your thoughts will determine if you survive or if you thrive. See, this passage of scripture right here is in a style of writing called cause and effect. And we see it all throughout the Bible. It says, if you do this, this will happen. If you do that, that will happen. Cause and effect. If you eat too much, what do you eat in America for dessert at Christmas? Pie. Pizza too. I love pizza. But if you eat too much pizza, I mean pizza and pie and all of it, whatever you eat, and you don't exercise, you're probably going to gain some weight. Cause, eating too much bad stuff, effect, gaining weight. Really simple, cause and effect. And so this passage of scripture written in that style is saying meditate on these things, the cause, and the effect will be that the God of peace will be with you. See, coming into the Christmas season, I would say that we can all do with more peace because some of us, this may not be a fun season. Some of us, this may be the first Christmas without someone that we love dearly. Some of us may be facing this season alone. Some of, this, some of us, it may be none of those things. But either way, we have to train our minds because how we end this year will determine how we begin the next. What we choose to fix our thoughts on will determine the course of our life. It's a big deal. The Lord talks about it a lot in the Bible. Look, I'm not saying ignore all bad things. I, I am an optimist by nature. So one of my defaults is we just brush it under the rug. We just, I'm just in blissful denial until something smacks me in the face and I can't remain in denial anymore. But I am learning... I am learning and growing, but I am still choosing to see the good and see the positive whilst not ignoring the bad. And look, I want to make this very clear. I am not saying that there is real things going on like depression for some people, which is a chemical imbalance. And I, I'm not going to stand here and say, think yourself happy. Some people need medical help and that is okay. But the average Christian who does not deal with depression, most of their well-being in life can be determined by the thoughts that they meditate on day in and day out. Joaquin had a car accident the other day um, on the way to work, and the kids were in the car when he was, it was a fender bender, um, which, try explaining a fender bender to a kid. I'm like, <laughs> he's like, is he? is he in the hospital? And I'm like, no, it was just a scratch on the back of the car. You know, and, I, and my, one of my children is probably leans heavily towards the pessimist side. And so it's a challenge uh, for Joaquin and I to parent him because we probably both lean more to the optimist side. And so we're constantly teaching him how to reframe situations and circumstances. And we've got to train his brain to see the good. And so we sat in the car and I said, hey, guys, that's a bummer that someone hit daddy. 
But hey, isn't it amazing that we have a car? Isn't it great that no one got hurt? Like, isn't it amazing that we have enough money for insurance? And insurance is going to take care of that. Because we can always see the good if we're looking for it. We can always see the good if we're looking for it. I love this quote by Abraham Lincoln. It says, most people are about as happy as they make their minds up to be. See, not only, I love that God thinks about everything. He's so brilliant, isn't he? I'm, <laughs> I'm just amazed at the goodness of God, and I'm amazed at his creation, and I'm so happy that science is finally starting to line up with the word of God. But see, God didn't just create our brains to thrive on positive thought, but he created our bodies to thrive on positive thought. Our bodies, our physical bodies. I am um, a couple of well, it was probably in the beginning of the year. It was just a rough time. There was a lot going on. Obviously, Joaquin and I were trying to navigate how to lead the church through COVID and the after, well, I mean, it's not the aftermath yet, but leading through COVID, doing this whole building, like coming up with finances, there was just a lot going on and I had high levels of stress in my life. Um, and I have a counselor that I speak to once every other week. Guys, can I just recommend counselors? They're amazing. And can I say you don't need to be at rock bottom to have one? The first time I saw her, I was like, I don't really know why I'm here. Like, I feel like I'm in the movies, but what, should I lay down? Like, <laughs> she's like, no, you can just talk to me. And so, and so I began this relationship because I was taught that you should always do prevention work rather than salvage work. Right? And so I'm like, well, I'm not in a hard space now. This is when I first started seeing my counselor. But I know that hard times are coming because they always do. So I want to be in prevention mode. I want to have a relationship with someone who knows me in my good times and can help me through my bad times. And so I sat with my counselor and she's like, how are you doing? And I'm like, I just got to be honest. I am stressed. Like, I am stressed. I've, I'm suffering from anxiety when I think too much about some of the decisions that we have to make. And she's like, well, what's getting you through right now? And I was like, can I be honest? Cancun. <laughs> she was like, what? And I was like, well, Keen and I go to Cancun once a year on a vacation without children. Praise the Lord. Every married couple should do that. Amen. And we go to this place in Cancun that we love, and she's like, I'm like, Cancun is getting me through. We leave to go in three months, and every time I get stressed, every time anxiety comes up, I sit at my office chair, and I think about being on that beach. I imagine the taste of salt water in my mouth. I imagine the feel of sun on my skin. And honestly, I spend five minutes meditating on Cancun. <laughs> and she began to tell me how good that was and how beneficial and how much of a tool that is that counselors actually use for their patients who are dealing with anxiety and stress. And she said, it's even better if you've been to that place. And it doesn't have to be Cancun. It can be your favorite place here in town. It can be wherever you find peace and rest. 
But she said, meditating on that place will actually lower your cortisol levels. It does something physical within your body that reduces stress and anxiety. And I was like, yes, I'm going to think about Cancun all day long. <laughs> but medical research proves that meditating on positive thoughts can have health benefits, including reduced mortality, longer lifespan. Who wants that? I mean, that alone, come on. Reduced risk of coronary heart disease and stroke. There is even evidence of direct effect of positive state of thought on health-related biology, such as lowering your cortisol levels, they're your stress hormones, improving cardiovascular function. It reduces blood pressure and heart rate and increases immune system function. Johns Hopkins did a study and they went as far as to say negative thoughts have a negative effect on immune responses. Isn't that crazy? See, God just doesn't want our spirit to be healthy. He wants our whole being to be healthy. Francis of Assisi says, where there is rest and meditation, there is neither anxiety nor restlessness. But our minds also are one of our greatest weapons of warfare. And so you better believe that there is a battle going on for your thoughts. If there is power in your thoughts and it is used as a weapon of warfare, then you better believe that the enemy is going to try to put some lies in there. You better believe that he's going to try to get you discouraged and distracted. Because he understands the power of your thought life. If the enemy can infect your thoughts, then he can direct your life. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, it speaks of the importance of casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. What we choose to meditate on matters. Galatians 5.1 says, for freedom Christ has set you free. For freedom. He wants you to be free more than you want to be free. And he set you free so that you could be free. But the problem is, even though Christ has set us free, many of us believers, we live a life of bondage to our thoughts. And if he paid such a great price for our freedom, then the less we can do, the least we can do is to control our thoughts to remain in a place of freedom. Romans 12.2 speaks of the essential place of being transformed by the renewing of the mind. You can tell the condition of a believer's thought life by how much they complain. I mean, not us, of course. <laughs> you can tell the condition of a believer's thought life by how much they complain. Ouch. Like, that hurts me a little. I mean, because we're all guilty of it, right? Right? And if you're not, come pray for me. Our convictions need to lead our thought life. 
They need to lead our thought life. We need to tell our brains what to meditate on. For that to happen, we need to do as Paul taught us, and that is to fix our eyes on these things. You know, the definition of fix is to become firm or stable, to direct one's attentions or efforts. Fixing our mind on good things takes effort. It's easier said than done sometimes, right? But the beautiful thing about God is that he doesn't leave us guessing without these tools. And so we're going to quickly break down this scripture, and we're going to go through this list, and we're going to talk about what does it actually look like. Give me some practical ways that I can train my brain to meditate on the goodness of God. So we're going to break it down. So this, this list actually translates from the Greek into the English pretty seamlessly. So there's not a lot of hidden meaning to the words that are listed. But it's good to just look them up and figure out exactly what is he saying. Because sometimes we have an idea of what these words mean, but we don't actually know the distinct definition. Finally, brethren, whatever is true... True is in accordance with fact or truth. Look, it just, it can't just be a positive thought. It has to be truth. Because anyone can have positive thoughts. Actually, there are entire religions that are based upon the power of positive thoughts. They're just not true thoughts. So your thoughts have to be true not just positive. And that also means that we have to stop believing lies. We have to stop thinking thoughts about ourselves and other people that God does not have about us and others. John 8.32 says, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. That word truth there is translated as reality. You will know the reality, and the reality will set you free. But God, I'm not qualified enough. But God, I have three little kids at home. How can I do what you've asked me to do? I'm not educated enough. I don't have enough money to do that. I'm too old to be used by you. Nobody likes me. I'm hard to love. I'm too much. I'm not enough. And the lies go on and on and on. But the unfortunate thing about lies is that if you think about them long enough and you believe them, they become your reality. They become your truth. You begin to believe what you meditate on. But the Bible is filled with truth. So we need to read God's word and believe that we are who he says we are. Amen? Whatever is noble, belonging to a hereditary class with high social or political status, 1 Peter 2 says, you are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You, if you were born again, and if Jesus Christ is your Savior, you were born into a royal bloodline. 
So are you acting like royalty or are you acting like a victim? Are you acting like royalty or are you acting with a poverty spirit? Because we get to choose. And God makes it very clear how he wants us to think. He doesn't want us to think that there's never going to be enough and woe is me. And of course, this always happens to me. That is not a royal mindset. Whatever is just, just is based on or behaving according to what is morally right and fair. Meditate on things that are morally right. Can I tell you, controversial, but we'll go there. Your issues with pornography, they started in your brain way before they started in the flesh. Our issues with lying and deceitfulness, they started in our brain way before they manifested themselves in the flesh. What you meditate on will become your reality. So think on things that are morally right and fair, things that are just. Meditate on that which is pure, not mixed or adulted with any other substance or material. Meditate on the thoughts of heaven. Don't let perverted thoughts of this world ensnare you. I mean, that's how we came up with universalism, right? Oh, there's so many ways to God. You've just got to love people well, and then you'll get, I don't know, whatever it is. No. The pure gospel is there is only one way to God, and that is through Jesus Christ. We can't let the world spin truth and swallow it hook, line, and sinker. If it doesn't line up with the Word of God, it is not truth. So we've got to think these thoughts, not let them be mixed with the world. Psalm 24, 3 to 4, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. And oftentimes we stop there, don't we? But this is the next part of that verse. He who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. And that's exactly what God is talking about. This list is not allowing our souls to be lifted up to things that aren't true, noble, just, pure, lovely. Then we shall stand in the holy place of the Lord. We shall ascend the hill of the Lord. Meditate on that which is lovely. That word lovely means exquisitely beautiful. Husbands, turn to your wives and say, you are exquisitely beautiful. Thanks, babe. 
I tell you what, whenever I want to look at something beautiful, I don't just look at my husband, but I could do that. I like to go... <laughs> I like to go into nature. Does anyone else just love being outdoors and love being around nature? Because can I tell you, his creation is exquisitely beautiful. It is exquisitely beautiful. And if you need to fill your mind with something that is lovely, just step outside. Just step outside. Get away from the screen. Put the phone down. And just step outside. Psychologists believe that there is healing power in nature, bolstered by research that suggests green spaces are good for our health, our well-being, and even our relationships. But what is the secret ingredient in nature? This is a secular study done by a university. What is the secret ingredient in nature that brings these benefits about? Craig Anderson and his colleagues suggest it could be awe. Awe, for, for the Americans in the room. <laughs> awe, awe. That sense of being in the presence of something greater than ourselves that fills us with wonder. Something about being somewhere that is greater than ourselves, that fills us with wonder, is good for our souls. It's good for our minds, and it's good for our relationships. So go outside and just meditate on God's goodness and beauty, and it will begin to create pathways in your brain that, le that lead to life and positivity. Meditate on that of a good report, pleasing and welcome, a spoken or written account. This is why we love testimonies. And can I tell you, if you need to be meditating on the good report a little bit more, then you should join Bob's team. Because I tell you what, your mind is going to be blown with what God is doing. And it's really hard sometimes to look at the little um, challenges, sometimes big, Let's not brush over that. Sometimes big challenges that we're going through, but when we've fixed our minds on the things that God is doing and God has done, it's really hard to say discouraged. When my car breaks down, yet I'm a recording a testimony of someone's tumor disappearing, it's really hard for me to stay discouraged. The Passion Translation, it said, and fasten your thoughts on every glorious work of God. And if you can't see it in the world around you, then you can read about it. Every glorious work of God. When we fill our minds with the good, there's not enough room for the bad. We've got to choke those suckers out. Sometimes it feels like that, right? Like, oh, you just got to get in there and get those things out. <laughs> Whatever things are of virtue, that word virtue means behaviors showing high moral standards. One of the best ways that we've learned how to discipline our kids is to praise their good works. So if we see one of them being kind to the other, when the other doesn't deserve it, 
We don't meditate on the one that doesn't deserve it. We talk to the one who has shown kindness and we meditate on that and we say, well done. Good job, buddy. Good job. And then behavior is often caught more than it's taught. And then your other kid is like, whoa, he's getting praise for doing that. Maybe I should try that instead of what I've been doing. Meditate on things with moral high standards. Praise things that are of moral high standards. And finally, meditate on that which is praiseworthy, deserving approval or admiration. Here's an example. God, you're amazing. God, I didn't deserve the cross but you went there anyway for me. God, I don't know where my life would have been like if you hadn't have intervened. God, the work of your hands is beautiful. God, I'm so grateful that I have family to spend Christmas with. I haven't seen my family in almost three years. And it's been a hard season. Australia is kind of crazy right now, if you haven't heard. But it's been tough. And I can either keep dwelling on the fact that I haven't seen my mom and dad in three years, or my brother, and I haven't met my niece or my nephew. Or I can think about, you know what? I have an amazing mother and father-in-law that I get to spend Christmas with. And I, my kids have cousins to grow up with. See, I get to choose... I'm not denying the fact that it's still a hard season because I miss them terribly. But I'm not going to dwell on it until it gets me angry and bitter. I'm going to choose to see the good, and I'm going to choose to focus on the good. And we can all do that. David Guzik, who is one of my favorite theologians, he says this about that list that we just read through. These... Paul would say, are the fruit and the food of the mind that is guarded by the peace of God. When we put these good things into our mind, they stay in our mind and they come forth from us. You know, they have that saying, you are what you eat. You are what you think. You are what you think. Do people leave your presence happier than when they came in, feeling more encouraged, feeling more comforted? I don't know who it was. I think it was Oswald Chambers um, said, <laughs> this isn't just on the women, by the way, but he said, most women take about 30 minutes to get ready for church, putting on their lipstick, choosing their outfits, getting ready. He said, could you imagine if every believer put 30 minutes into meditating and praying into what God was going to do at church. <laughs> See, we get ready in the natural, don't we? But oftentimes, we forget to get ready in the spirit. What are we meditating on? That word meditate there. We need to create thoughts and then spend time with it. 
not just allow them to go through our minds and then out again, but we need to learn how to meditate. And I realize saying that in a Christian context is a little scary for some people, but I'm going to get like a little bit passionate right now because I am so sick and tired of people thinking that meditation believes, belongs to Eastern religion and New Age religion. I'm so tired of it. It was always designed by God for the believer. It is all throughout our Bible. He talks constantly about meditating on the Word of God. Even David said, let the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you. In Joshua, it says that the Word of the Lord shall not depart from your lips, and I shall meditate on it day and night. Meditate. Do we know how to meditate? Because in Philippians, God didn't just say, think about these things. He said, meditate on these things. Get quiet. Let these words, let this book, let his promises, let the things that are true, noble, lovely, let them become part of who you are. We've got to learn to not just read Scripture, to, but to meditate on Scripture. It's what's going to take this from head knowledge into heart knowledge. I am going to wrap it up. But I just, I would say this. If you have a pretendent, Tendency, I'm just going to say that word because it's easier. If you have a tendency to lean towards the negative or you found yourself lately dwelling on negative thoughts, then we have to begin to ask ourselves a series of questions. Like, where is our negativity coming from? Where is it coming from? Is it coming from social media? Again, I think social media has some great things about it, but if you're comparing yourself to someone else's highlight reel, chances are you're going to leave pretty deflected and not feeling super great about yourself. And if that's the case, get rid of social media. You will survive. I promise, I promise. If it's the news, right? I mean, I don't know about you, but I can walk away feeling pretty dejected and depressed from the news. So if you need a season of not checking the news every single day, again, you will survive the world will just keep on being crazy without you. Maybe you have a wound from your past that triggers toxic thoughts. And hey, we've all got stuff from our past that we're working on, right? We are all a work in progress. But can I implore you, if you have negative thoughts that are stemming from past wounds, then get healed. Seek healing. And sometimes that means coming up to the ministry line and getting prayer, and that's going to take care of it. Other times, it's going to take you going to a counselor and having sozos. But if God died for your freedom then the least that we can do is fight for it. And sometimes it's a fight. You are not to blame 
if wounds have happened to you in the past, but you are on how you're going to move forward. You're going to pass them on to your kids? Or does it stop with you? Could you imagine how healthy the church would be if we took a stand and say, hey, offense stops with, stops with me. Negative thoughts, the victim mentality, the poverty mentality, it stops with me. And the last thing is there could be some people in your life who are kind of negative. Debbie Downers. I feel really bad for people with the name Debbie. I actually know someone called Debbie, and she's lovely and great, and so I don't know if we should... <laughs> label it that anymore. Um, anyway. <laughs> but there are some people that maybe they're influencing your thoughts in a negative way. Here is a, here is a scripture that will kind of slap you across the face a little. Proverbs twenty two twenty four: Make no friendship with an angry man, and with a furious man do not go, lest you learn his ways and set a snare for your soul. Negativity breeds negativity. Quickest way to become a negative person is to hang around other negative people. And you'll be surprised that if you start and you say, you know what? I'm actually going to take a stand. I'm going to become positive. I'm going to choose what my brain dwells on, and I'm going to let it line up with the Word of God. The negative people, they're naturally going to begin to fall away. They're like, man, we can't gossip as much with her around. So in the way that negativity breeds negativity, positivity breeds positivity. So you have the choice. Okay. I have a charge, a challenge, if you will. I love the word challenge. I was told uh, by Stacy, who does all of our um, like EQ and disc test stuff, she's like, don't use the word challenge. It scares some people. And I'm like... Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry, I don't mean to, but like, you want me to do anything? Challenge me. <laughs> so I'm going to challenge you. And if you don't like that word, just sub it for something that makes you feel a little bit more comfortable. But what do you say we go on a negativity fast? What do you say that instead of fasting food, we fast negativity? Could you imagine what the church would look like if there were no negative Christians? People would actually want to come to church. I know. Look, I have to say that most people I know like do this so well already, and they are positive, and they are dwelling on good things, but we could all do better, right? We could all do better. So here is what a negative fast, negativity fast is not. It is not denying that problems exist. It is not critical of others who may be struggling in their beliefs. It is not ignoring things that need to be done. Here is what a negative, negativity fast is. It is determining to focus more on God's promises than problems. It is learning to speak with hope 
in even the toughest of issues. It is becoming solution-focused rather than problem-focused. It is refraining from reacting and giving voice to pessimism, criticism of others, self-criticism, and just say that one again, self-criticism, and other forms of unbelief. It is speaking about problems to the right people in the right way. I don't want to go off on a tangent on this one. But don't tell other people about a problem that they can't fix. <laughs> tell the people who can actually fix it. It's so much more productive. It is replacing negative words and thoughts with positive words and thoughts based on God's promises, the finished work of Christ, and our biblical identity. So who's up for the challenge? Because I don't know about you, I mean, I'm not, I'm not heading into family drama over the holidays, but you may be heading into family dramas. And are you going to allow those family dramas to, ne to negatively affect you, or are you going to positively affect them? Because we get to choose. We get to choose. Amen? Amen. Why don't you guys stand up for me? Let's place our hand on our head. And say, Jesus, Jesus. Help, my help my brain to be, in to be aligned with heaven. Help me to think and meditate on the thoughts of heaven. We cast out any negativity. We command the enemy to get out of our thoughts. And we choose to dwell on that which is true, that which is noble, that which is just, that which are pure, that which is lovely, things of good report, things of virtue, and things that are praiseworthy. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit BethelATX.com.